Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I am here today with my friend, Heidi Stamper. Hello, Heidi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we're, we were just chatting before we started recording that we're going to, we're going to change this up a little bit. Um, Heidi's definitely going to share her story and how she got into all of her uh, work that she does now. Um, but her and I like to have these amazing conversations about how shitty the system still is. And so I think we're going to probably go back and forth about that for a little bit. Because fair. it's fair, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, some of these systems that are in play and, and don't get me wrong, Heidi's doing amazing work, but her and I have been in this realm for, oh my gosh, which feels like forever. Um, and there's still certain things that just still aren't standardized that, you know, doctors aren't doing education that's still not in place. And it's just, you know, it can be frustrating for those of us that work so hard in this field and still the bare minimum foundations are still not being built so that these moms don't fall through the cracks. So anyway, so we're going to get into that too, but I'll have you start off by sharing your story, Heidi, wherever you want to start it. It's completely up to you, my friend. It's it's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my God, don't, don't say the whole thing. (laughs) I'll I'll try to shorten it up a little bit. So, um, (laughs) Um, I, I I think my story started when I, when I was having some infertility with my daughter and I am an adult child of an alcoholic and I didn't realize that I didn't know what that was. And I think that they had a lot to do with how I processed me not being able to have a child. Um, and I didn't realize that until like years and years into therapy and, you know, all that good jazz, but, um, I had a really happy pregnancy once I did get pregnant with her. I think that I was really emotional, but aren't y'all when we're pregnant. Right. But I wasn't really sure what that looked like for me. Um, my sister had six kids. And so I was, you know, she always just kind of white knuckled through everything. And so I thought this was supposed to be like super easy, even though I saw like her having six children, it was hard. Um, but so I had my daughter and I remember I ended up having an emergency C-section, which I had never had any type of surgery before. So that was horrific for me. I had no idea what was going on. Um, it was terrifying and, um, I didn't know what was going on. And I felt like as soon as she came, I was just going to be so happy. And I was horrified. Like as soon as she came, all I could hear was her crying. And my first thought was, why won't she shut up? And oh my God, I'm a horrible mom because I just became a mom, like literally three, 
three seconds ago and I already want her to be quiet. How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? I distinctly remember that feeling and thinking that and looking over and thinking, wow, these nurses must think my daughter is a real piece of work because she will not stop crying. And how awful is she? And how awful am I? Like I'm the worst mom. So those are my first thoughts, like 30 seconds into motherhood. Just a lot of fun. Those good times. <laughs> so, yeah. So there was that experience. And then, you know, the whole trying to nurse. And I felt like if I didn't have the, the birth that I wanted, I would at least, you know, be the nursing mother that I wanted to be. And so I endured 13 months of bleeding cracked nipples, yeast infection of the breast, like, you know, mastitis and, and everything you could possibly think of. But I thought, Hey, you know what? I couldn't give birth like a normal mom, normal quote unquote, mom. <laughs> so I'm at least going to do this, you know, flagship thing that I'm supposed to do as a, as a new mom. Um, and I worked full time and I had, um, a husband who was in active addiction to alcohol. So that was really difficult as well. So, yeah, so that year was pretty horrible. But I, you know, I white knuckled through it. I thought it was, you know, this is what motherhood is. It's horrible and nobody talks about it. And this is the worst experience of my life, but I'm so happy. Yay. Yay. Big smile. Big smile. (laughs) Having such a great time. Um, And then I thought, you know, if I did it once, I could probably do it again. So we tried to have another baby and it took a lot of time. Again, we had some infertility, um, but I diagnosed myself because, you know, that's what you do as a new mom. You do all kinds of fun stuff on the interwebs. And I decided I had a pituitary gland problem. And so I stopped eating sugar and I stopped eating carbs. It was great. Lost a ton of weird weight. And then, um, and I got pregnant. So I think that I was a doctor at that point, basically, (laughs) Yes, I, I would say that would qualify you definitely as a doctor. <laughs> I thought this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so my, I never got any help from my OBGYN when I had my daughter. Um, nobody, I remember taking the EPDS, um, the Edinburgh scale when I had my daughter and I lied 100% through the whole thing. Cause I'm like, well, I don't want people to think that I'm having a hard time. Like I can do this you can do this. And, um, so I lied. I got pregnant with my son, still no therapy, no medication, no nothing. Um, and the pregnancy was great. Um, I ended up having a ruptured placenta with him. And so I was trying for a VBAC that didn't happen. So I was like, Oh, I'm a failure again. Look at me. My woman parts don't want to cooperate and they don't want to release the baby. (laughs) So Oh, Here failed woman parts. Never a good thing. <laughs> These are my oh. failed woman parts. And I am a horrible person. So I remember my husband was working that day and I drove myself to the hospital because I was like, you know what? Something just doesn't seem right. I feel like I'm having some contractions here or whatever. It was like a week before my scheduled C-section. And I thought, oh, great. I'm going into natural labor. This is fantastic. This means that I can have the birth that I wanted. And I got up into, well, it was a weird experience. Let's start off with how you get into the hospital. So I go into the emergency room and I'm clearly nine months pregnant. I'm as big as a, you know, house. 
And the woman's like, hi, can I help you? And I'm like, you know, I'm having a baby. She's like, I can see that. I'm like, no, I mean, really like right now. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, you just take the elevators right there. And then you, and then you go up to the third, whatever it was. Right. And I'm thinking in my head, no, I want the TV version of this. Like I want like male nurses to come run in and give me my wheelchair. Put me in a wheelchair. (laughs) Fill me up and like, everybody going, you're going to do this. You're going to be, everyone's clapping. (laughs) Woohoo. Nope. Oh, <laughs> I had to escort myself up to that room. Get in there. And the nurse was like, just make yourself comfortable. The doctor will be here in a minute. I was like, okay. So I remember I had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, well, I should probably go to the bathroom. Went in the bathroom and there was blood everywhere. Blood, 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 blood. And I'm like, okay, well, is this normal? I've never had a baby before. Cause the last time remember I ended up having an emergency C-section And I'm like, I don't think this is normal. This feels weird. And so I was like pressing the little button, trying to get somebody to come in there. And finally they're like, "Um, you know, what's going on? What's the problem? Nobody came in. They called me. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm bleeding all over the place. Is that right? Is that okay? And they're like, no, we'll be right in. So they came in and they're like, oh, you have a ruptured placenta. This is bad this only happens to women who, um, are addicted to crack cocaine or wow. are alcoholics. And I was Clearly like, really, they had you pegged. Right I know. I was like, wow, what? I am neither of those things, but also what a horrible thing for you to, to say, say to somebody. To, to somebody. What? Oh my God. Like, this is the best, this is the best birth I could imagine. <laughs> So then I try to get a hold of my husband. He's still working. He's like, oh, okay. Um, I'll come now. You know, we had to figure out like care for my daughter. And as I mentioned earlier, like my, my dad was an alcoholic as well. I'm a daughter of an alcoholic. And so their, um, priority was being at the bar. And so they were like, well, you just let us know if you need me. And I thought, you know, by me calling you kind of means that I need you, but Okay. Um, you know, they had been present for all the births of all the other grandchildren, but somehow they've missed both of mine so far. So that was also there. My in-laws brought my daughter up to the hospital, you know, all this stuff happened. And then, you know, my husband was there and and stuff. And then the doctor had told me, well, you know, you, we could try for a natural childbirth, but when it reaches a certain point, we're going to have to do a cesarean. And at that point I was, he goes, because this is very dangerous. The The baby could you know, have complications because of the blood and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, well, I went into labor. That's really all I was gunning for. So let's go ahead and do the cesarean. So um, he said, great, we can have this wrapped up by nine o'clock and the Red Wings game is on. And so we're going to be in the clear. (laughs) And he was like, I'm just joking. Oh, Um, thank goodness. I'm like, I wish those nurses in the bathroom would have said that. (laughs) Just kidding. You're not addicted to crack. (laughs) What? I was like, okay. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. I want it to be comfortable for everybody. I mean, not including me, but everybody else. I really hope that you have a good time. Right. Cause this is, that's how new mothers think. Right. So I had my son and it was the most horrible experience I've ever had in my life. I won't go into detail because it's very triggering. The, the cesarean was just very difficult, very difficult. I felt everything. I threw up. It was just not, not pain wise, but I just felt everything else. It was just a horrible experience. Um, I don't think any mother that has to have a cesarean should be able to feel her body like jerking and moving and 
you know, things happening there that shouldn't be right. It changes the way that you see your body. Um, and not in a good way, you know, but he came and thank God <laughs> he was gorgeous and he was such a good baby. And it was such a different experience than I had with my daughter. My daughter was very, um, to me, I felt like she was very colicky, which I think colic is a bull crap term for just like cranky baby. Um, it, it just put the name to it. Great. Thanks for that. There's still no real cure. <laughs> right? So, but you got a label. Yeah. You, <laughs> you can look it up a in a glossary. It. it gives you yes. a definition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had that experience and, um, after a couple of weeks of having my son, I did the nursing again. It was not as bad. Somehow I was a little bit more seasoned and my, my boobs knew what to do this time, which was thank God. Um, I ended up nursing him for about 17 months and that was a really healing experience for me, but about, I would say about a month into my postpartum experience, I like, I was manic. I was cleaning the house. I was entertaining guests. I was cooking for everybody. I was, I was having the best time of my life. I was not sleeping. I was taking Vicodin at night just to sleep because I would just sit there. My son had strider. So I would just sit by his crib and just like listen to him breathe. And it would be like, <sighs> so even though he was alive and he was well and he was sleeping and eating, like his breathing was like sounded labored. So it was very hard for me to sleep. I got into this habit of like, okay, I have to schedule like every time I nurse, every time I pump, every time I change his diaper, I wrote down everything. Like, these are how many poops he had. These are many, how many people. Nobody ever asked me for my, for my record of the things, which I definitely thought that that was going to happen. Somebody was going to say, can I see the record of your yeah. child's poops? Yeah. <laughs> Never happened. That one. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Oh, like no, every... no one ever asked you for those, huh? No. Damn it. <laughs> there are a lot of work. <laughs> I know it was a lot of work. I did not do baby books for either of my kids. I'm a horrible mother. Because I was more concerned about like, are they peeing? Are they pooping? How much do they weigh? Right. Of course. You know, how much milk did I pump today? How much milk do I think that the baby is getting? Is it different than the milk that I'm pumping? I don't. Let, let's do a scientific study. Like this was how my brain was working. Mm -hmm. And one day I was sitting on my bed and my best friend called me. She's like, Hey, what are you up to? I'm like, I'm really, I really have no idea. And she's like, Oh, okay. She goes, where are the kids? I'm like, well, I mean, I know they're safe somewhere, but I'm not sure where they're at or what they're doing. I live in like a very small house. There's like one floor. There's not many places you can go. And she's like, okay, I'm going to come over. So she came over and I was just spaced out. Can I swear? Probably not. You probably yes. Yeah, I swear a lot. So. That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. We'll put explicit version on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I was like, I didn't know where I was. It was crazy. And I hate using that term because it's a, you know, it's a horrible term in most cases. So she's like, well, go to your doctor. So I, I called my, my OBGYN because I didn't know who else to call. And I said, I, I'm not doing well. I need to come in. And they fit me in right away, which was like out of this world. Um, and they gave me the Edinburgh test again. And this time I told the truth. I'm like, yes, I feel like killing myself. Yes, I'm a horrible mom. This is, I don't feel like doing anything I used to do. Blah, blah, blah. This is like, and I'm looking at it. I remember thinking, oh my God, like there's something really wrong with me. This is horrible. She sat in there and she talked, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> she talked to me for two 
hours. Wow. God bless, God bless Dr. Ty. I'm going to give Dr. Ty and Nova a shout out because she talked to me for two hours. She had like, she sat there with me while I called the back of my card, trying to find like a therapist and a psychiatrist that would see me. Um, she just, whew, she told me like all the things I was thinking about were just like, that's what depression does. That's what depression tells you. And anxiety tells you this. And I was just like, wow, I had no idea. I mean, honestly, let's be real. In high school, I was quite manic a lot. Um, you know, did some drugs, did a little bit of drinking, but I was pretty hyper in high school, pretty risky, had a lot of risky behavior. So I had the precursors to a lot of different things that we could talk about. I remember seeing my therapist and she was great. She really didn't have any postpartum experience. I saw one psychiatrist um, and I didn't like her. She told me that I had major depressive disorder and anxiety. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, what does anxiety feel like? And then she goes, well, how do you feel? I go, I feel like I'm looking at myself from outside my body and I'm watching this happen and I don't know where I'm at. And she's like, that's anxiety. I'm like, oh, that's what anxiety feels like. I just thought I was really fucked up. <laughs> right. Like, I just thought my brain was just turned into mush. Yeah. She's like, no, I requested another psychiatrist after that. Cause I'm like, I didn't like her. And I, and I got the psychiatrist I've been seeing now for 10 years and she's amazing. I love her so much. Um, in full circle moment, she is training to be me to be on her um, DBT team. Oh, so that's awesome. I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be working with her now or for her now. And it's like full circle moment of awesomeness. And I'm just oh, like super that. thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in therapy one time and I'm like, I don't know. I just feel really manic. And my therapist said, oh yeah, no, don't tell the psychiatrist that because that'll, that'll get you in the hospital. And I thought, oh, I can't go to the hospital. So like, first of all, like I said, at the time, my, my partner was an active alcoholic. He's been sober for three years now. God bless America. Well, really more like God bless him because he did all the work because <laughs> it's really hard. But um, I couldn't I couldn't go to the hospital. I mean, I can't leave my kids home alone with him. And then we didn't have any family that we could count on or anything. So of course, when I saw the psychiatrist the next time, I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm not manic. I'm not cleaning in the middle of the night and like organizing stuff like no my spice rack is not in alphabetical order <laughs> are you I have no idea what you're saying <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> oh, so I lied so, uh, but yeah. this is a very long long-winded story however it does have a really good point <laughs> so um eventually over time I was more honest with my psychiatrist I was eventually diagnosed with um bipolar disorder with postpartum onset, which I'm sure that it was not postpartum onset. The more I think about it, the more I think about my history, you know, I probably have had bipolar disorder my whole life. Um, I realized that my therapist was great. She didn't know anything about postpartum recovery. And so I, um, at 38, I went and got my master's degree in counseling and, um, spent four years doing that while my husband was an active addiction and we were both working full time. Um, it was very difficult. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> zero stars. <laughs> zero stars on that. You're <laughs> oh, out of 10. Do not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I graduated and I've been practicing for a couple of years now um, as a therapist. 
and my specialty is postpartum, but I've all, you know, my, my other passion is children, adult children, alcoholics and bipolar um, adjustment disorders and going into uh, borderline personality disorders. So the mood disorders are kind of my genre. I really love working with those clients. Um, but it took me about five years to, to like talk about my, that diagnosis in itself is very difficult for me because I, you know, I remember watching, what was that movie with Drew Barrymore? Um, Crazy Love or, do you remember what we're talking about? Early two, 2000s, late, ni- ni- I want to say late 1900s. And that's true, <laughs> but it sounds really bad. The late 1900s. <laughs> the late 1900s. 19. I don't know. What was it? I, I, I'm thinking okay, of a Drew Barrymore movie, but it, that's not the one. Um, I'm thinking of 50 first dates, which is not <laughs> the one, <laughs> which would make no sense for this conversation. Um, Mad Love. It was called Mad Love. So yeah. in that movie, she's got bipolar disorder. I'm pretty sure that they diagnose as like bipolar one. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not Drew Barrymore. Like, I'd love to be Drew Barrymore in real life. Shout out to Drew Barrymore. But... <laughs> I don't want to be like risky and not able to be trusted. And who wants to be a mom that is bipolar like that? There's just such a stigma surrounding that. So it was really scary. Yeah. Um, but it took me like five years. And even then, like, it was really hard. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard your story until right now. <laughs> that is talked about it before I mean yeah but I don't know I mean I I know I've never heard it like you say it I mean I may have read some things but I don't think I've ever heard you actually say it and what's so weird is how similar our our stories are um that's crazy because I obviously have the bipolar diagnosis and it's same with you I'm certain that I was bipolar my whole life, especially with, um, being manic. I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not. And, and I think we've talked about this because you have yeah. been involved in all of my entrepreneurial adventures <laughs> that I have, um, I, tried support you to, 100%. I mean, <laughs> and so I remember my psychiatrist like, yeah, it's not normal to have an idea for a business on Friday and have the website up and running by Monday. I'm like, Oh really? That's not how that's supposed to work. Cause that's what I do. I think you're just a great entrepreneur. I'm just really efficient. I'm really good at what I do. Wow. Um, little did I know that it was killing me slowly. And so, you know, that's, you're going to hear my kid in the background. Just FYI. I'm probably going to take a short break here in just a second. <laughs> so yeah, when I was, when my psychiatrist diagnosed me with um, bipolar after I had my breakdown in 2017, which was obviously well after I experienced anything, um, perinatal related. Um, I just remember looking back the same as you and thinking, man, like I had risky behavior. I, you know, was so <laughs> I was so manic all through high school, but you know, and, yeah. and also had a lot of things like you, you know, grow up and grew up in a very unstable household, lots of trauma, um, growing up. Um, my ACEs score is really high. Um, for those of you that don't know ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, like yeah. little 10. Mine's really low. Oh my gosh. Mine's an eight out of 10. Like, it's like, I hit I like everything. Yeah. It's really high. I've never but... been abandoned because my dad always oh. took me to the bar with him. Oh, well then 
<laughs> father of the year. <laughs> I'm not going to leave you. Come with me. <laughs> I learned how to play shop. This is going to be to a great pool. experience for you. <laughs> I pretended to be a bartender. It was all very good life skills. Yeah. Very good life skills. <laughs> um, learn how to count money. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh God. I love talking to you. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just like so crazy how similar our stories are. And it's so exciting to know that you're now like, I'm so excited that you're in the field and you're getting paid for what you're doing. It is hard to get paid for what you love. I you know. Go into it. Imposter syndrome is so present because every day I'm like, you know, after every session, I'm like, oh, wow, this person is paying me. And that's really fucking cool. Like, <laughs> They care right. about what I have to say. And I actually have like treatment plan and I have like homework for them and I have steps that I want them to take. God, if I would have had a therapist for me that would have said, Heidi, this is what you need to do to get well. Like, these are the negative thoughts that we need to challenge. And this is how to get through that. If I would have had a therapist like me, not trying to toot my own horn, but geez, you know, like I probably would have gotten better a lot faster oh, of course. instead of somebody that was just there to listen to me. Cause I'll be honest with you. When I first started going to therapy, I made best friends with every therapist that I had. That was who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up like me just sitting there bitching about stuff and then giving them advice about how to take care of other clients rather than me getting any tangible, uh-huh. like usable stuff. I had one therapist that was really hard with me and was like, no, Heidi, this is what we need to do. And I remember thinking, I ain't got time for this shit. I got, you know, I'm I'm miserable and I'm doing a great job being miserable. So I'm just going to continue to be miserable and I'm not going to listen. And so I don't have time to come see you anymore. And, that's what I did. and oddly enough, I'm going to be working alongside of her at for, with my psychiatrist, which I think is hilarious. Wow. That is hilarious. Like, oh do you remember God. me? I haven't had the moment yet where I come back and say, do you remember me? I was like really tr- like treatment resistant. Remember that girl? That was me. That was me. And I have clients like that. And I know to be harder with those clients, you know, harder in a gentle way. Right. Oh, but in course. a like accountability type of a way. And I, you know, and I expect progress. And I've told my clients, if you're not making progress, I'm not going to keep taking your money. I'm not going to keep taking your insurance. Like I'm going to refer you out. If what I'm doing isn't working, let's find you somebody that's going to. Thank God I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. But, you know, I let them know from the get-go. And a lot of times right. they're like, wow, really? Like, yeah. No. Well, that's like, what a good therapist does. I mean, that, that is what a good medical provider right. does that if I'm, yeah. if this isn't working out, I will refer you to someone who maybe you mesh better with. I mean, right. you know, and, and being in that uh, relationship with a therapist is a very intimate relationship. I mean, yeah. it just really is. You have to trust them. Um, you need to, you need to be able to, you know, really, I think, I guess trust is the biggest, I have so many women that I talk to, um, who are just like going, you know, through whatever. And I still get referrals from people that this mom just wants to talk, you know, but just fine. And I'll, you know, talk to them on the phone for an hour or whatever. But one of the first questions that I always ask, I always say, you know, do you like your OBG? Like if they're pregnant, do you like your OBGYN? No, not really. (laughs) I get that all the time. What do you mean you don't like your doctor? They're like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like they don't have really good bedside manner or they, 
they said, you know, they'll tell me a story about they said this or that. And I'm just like, you need to change doctors. Like you cannot go forward with a doctor that you don't trust. Like right. it's, it's not going to work. And so I hear that time and time again. So I always make sure that, you know, despite what I tell them, if they're, you know, if they heal with me and then they go back to the person who's causing them trauma, I mean, it's like, oh yeah, it's not going to work out, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't so- see active addicts or alcoholics because I learned the hard way that I can't treat people that I've been a victim of. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Exactly. That was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. But I hear the same thing. I hear providers being dismissive. I hear providers, you know, not being inclusive. I hear providers being, you know, like not great and horrible. And it breaks my heart. And I've cried in sessions with my clients because I'm like, I am so mad for you. And I, you know, how can we help you? How can I get you into a better place? And and it's hard for people to trust the system, you know, after a breakdown that happens. Of course. So, right. And yeah. after being treated like that, and then they end up having to, go, you know, talk to a therapist about their previous therapist who ended up doing, well, you know, other damage to them, you know, or trauma. I had a client that told me that she was seeing a provider who had said that they were um, postpartum. That was their specialty. And they didn't even like score them with the EPDS and they didn't have like, they didn't have tools to help them through postpartum, through relationship issues. Because listen, if you're a postpartum, you're definitely going to have relationship issues. If you're a new parent, you're definitely going to have relationship issues. But these are, this is like part of the thing. It needs to be part of the treatment plan is learning how to parent with your partner. There are still so many things that need to change systems that need to be implemented. And yeah, I will honestly say that I think my hope is that providers be honest about what they're providing. And when people go online and they're looking for a therapist or a psychiatrist, and they say that they specialize in something, and then you go there and you find that you have no support, no validation, you know, no, nothing, just a bunch of like, you know, psychobabble to be with you it's discouraging I mean who wants to open up to somebody that makes you feel lesser than them it's just really frustrating you know I just want to make sure that you know the providers that are out there are speaking the truth for the people that they're serving it matters you know it matters a lot what else do you want to talk about do you have anything you Uh, want to yell about (laughs) Well, I think I yelled about the providers that say that you there's really something did. that they're not, but it really drives me nuts. <laughs> I hear you. Um, I you know, hear. I think that people are very simple and they just need their basic needs met. And I think the education surrounding parenting is lacking in our school systems and society, you know, who gets taught how to be a good dad or a good mom? You really only get taught by what you see. And if what you see isn't great, then what do you know? <laughs> like, mm, I don't know. Exactly. It's gross. Yeah, no, but a hundred percent. And then that's just, you know, that's that vicious cycle that it just, whatever, that trauma just keeps repeating itself over yeah. and over and over again until, you know, somebody realizes <laughs> that it wasn't right. And, you know, it can be better and they make it better. And then the cycle starts to change and, 
and whatnot. But yeah, I totally hear you. Um, we ha- there's so much trauma that's being untreated um, in so many. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable. So I've been, I've been like obsessed with any book that's like about being trauma informed or anything. Cause yeah. I just find it fascinating, um, how much, you know, we go through as kids really just impacts how we are as parents, um, you know, up through adulthood. So yeah, yeah crazy. Well, Miss Heidi, thank you so much for sharing your story. I missed your face. I miss your face too. I wish you were coming to Chicago. I know. Surprise Get on I a know. plane. Get on a plane and fly to Chicago. <laughs> I know. I need to see you, ladies. Well, yeah, I you love know. you and everything that you're doing. I love you too. You're doing such an amazing job. All right, friend. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. You're welcome.